In our conversation of the day today, we are talking about relationships and we're asking, when do you know it's time to take the next step of marriage in your relationship? Now, joining us on the line is Vanessa Mokhorosi. She is a consciousness coach. She is a Lightarian Reiki master and she is joining us and she is in the UK currently in London. A very good morning to you, Vanessa. Good morning, good morning, Kanye, and to the, and to the listeners. How is it in London um, this very morning? I believe it should at least be like, what, 3 o'clock where you are? It's 3 a.m. It's just after it's 3 a.m. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. What brings you to London? Um, Actually, well, it's a lot of Jewish holidays that are happening. Today is New Year. Next week I've got uh, Yom Kippur, so I'm here mostly for a lot of the... Uh, holy days for September. Oh, wow. That's interesting. We'll talk a little bit more about that later on because I didn't know you were Jewish or you followed the Jewish practice. So I think that's a very interesting thing we can get into. This morning, Vanessa, we're talking about relationships and taking things to the next level. Wow, that's a big one. That's a big one. You know, most times us women, you know, when we get into a relationship already, we can see the white picket fence, we can see the house, we oh, can yes. see the dogs, yes. we can see the station wagons. We the can two and a half kids. The two and a half kids. <laughs> Our happily ever after. We can see it all after the first week, but alas, it doesn't always work out that way. You talk about relationships versus responsibility. Let's start there. Yes, so there's a huge correlation between the two to the degree that you want a solid relationship. It's to the degree that you'd be willing to take um, responsibility because the level of responsibility you take within a relationship is uh, to how much power you would have to make that work. So when we say responsibility, it's how you respond to the relationship, your your ability to respond to uh, having a relationship. The first point of contact would be how do you relate to yourself? And most people don't check on that. We just assume um, that we are able to be in a relationship um, and have the capacity to love or show compassion and be supportive. Um, and it's the, the two work hand in hand. So working on yourself first, making sure that you are developed, making sure that you are 100% full. Uh, you hear a lot of people say, oh, this person completes me. Mm. You should be whole already mm. um, so that you can attract somebody who is whole. So they always relationships always reflect where we are, who we are, and what we still have to work um, on. Mm, mm, mm. So to the degree that you take responsibility for yourself and what you want to achieve is to the degree that you would uh, attract the relationship that you want to be in and that would be um, as fulfilling, as transformational and as um, educational, informative. And why is it important to work on yourself before you get into a relationship or even while you're in a relationship to continue working on yourself? For, for this very reason that, you, first of all, you don't want to um, attract somebody who has um, or will trigger the things that you don't want to come up in the relationship. So we look at something like, um, you know, 
be in a relationship that's um, or with somebody in a relationship that is emotionally unavailable and that's your biggest yearning so to the degree that you work on your emotions you work on your uh, traumas and hurts it's to the degree that you won't attract somebody who's going to trigger those things Mm. so let's say you your previous relationship you were absolutely heartbroken you don't work on that heartbreak you're going to attra- the next person you're going to attract is going to trigger a heartbreak 10 times worse than the one that you worked uh, that you just came out of so they say that to the um if you're with someone for let's say 2 years you need to spend at least 1 year after that 2 year relationship to emotionally heal from that previous relationship. And you find people moving, they break up one month in February, they were somebody else. There's mm. no period of processing, of understanding, mourning and healing from whatever happened from a previous relationship. And that's how you will attract somebody who's going to trigger and hurt you even more than what you just came out of with the hope that you won't get hurt again. So that's what the importance of working on your emotional hurts, traumas, and pains before you get into another relationship. So you don't attract something. It's like putting salt in a wound. Mm, mm, mm. That's very important And like you say Sometimes we jump from one relationship to another Without taking the time In between um, To heal and actually you know, Deal with our pain and our hurt Until we are ready to be in another relationship Now you talk about setting challenges 20% out of the comfort zone What does that mean? Yes So for, for um, Getting you know, The clarity that you've been with someone and things are working out or you want to see whether it's time to take this relationship to the next level, Mm. um, one thing that would clarify that would be to set challenges. So, and this usually would happen maybe after a year or two of being together with someone. Mm. So you would do something, when you say 20% out of your comfort zone, you'd have to set a challenge that you know, you wouldn't be able to do um, with your eyes closed. So it has to stretch you more than it can't. Yeah, magic happens 20% out of your comfort zone. So a good example would be, say there's something that you want to achieve together as a couple. So um, maybe have, if you are at 60% communication level, you want to have 80% communication level, clearer, more um, compassionate and understanding and with less uh, miscommunication, you'd set that challenge and say, okay, let's shift ourselves from 60% to 80% so we can communicate better and understand each other and, you know, come from a place where we are not responding before we actually understand what the other person needs. And that's something that would be out of your comfort zone because, you know, you're shifting from 60 to 80% as a couple. So you set a, a challenge like that so that you can see and have the necessary information or um, be equipped with the sufficient um, tools 
to to talk better with each other. Mm. Mm. Very important points you're raising there. And what about the state of readiness? I mean, wow, for some people, marriage can take place after a month of meeting and they feel ready and they do it. For others, it's five years, ten years. So there doesn't really seem to be a formula to it. But is there a particular stage where, you know, you, you even as a counsellor, even working with people to say, you know, this is, you know, the right time to do it? Again, if this is, if if this decision is is based or made or influenced by you know the concept of marriage, and that's you know a, a distinction that you'd only get again from doing these challenges. So there's people that will make the decision to get married because they are in love with the concept of marriage. Mm-hmm. And Meaning that they that want get to get married. married for the sake of being married. Yes. So it's the concept. It's, it's just the idea of it. Yeah? Yeah. And then there's people that define what marriage is for them. Not taking that concept of marriage and adopting it and figuring it out as you go. So you can only get, again, that clarity and that distinction from setting these challenges that are 20% out of your comfort zone, from asking the right inquiries and saying, what is it that we're trying to achieve? What is our own definition? Because there's a lot. You know, we watch movies and stuff on TV and the magazines that speak to this concept, but you need your own definition. Mm. You need your own definition of what marriage is, what you're committing to, what, again, the concept of integrity would come in. You know, that would be something really important for me, going or wanting to move into the next level of marriage would how much can I rely on this person's word? You know, how many times have they said they're going to do something and actually did it? Because ultimately that's, that's all you is, is important within, you know, the commitment of marriage. If you can't be, if you, if you're unable to be with somebody who, you know, breaks their promises or breaks their word, or it's okay for them, you know, there's, there's excuses and, on this planet that are okay for them to break their word, that that would be something that I would either consider against or consider for, uh, depending on how reliable or how much integrity my partner has. Mm, mm. And let's talk about what powerful inquiries would produce the insights to clarify what the next uh, level looks like. Answering the questions or the right questions, you know, the questions or inquiries that would uh, generate these insights. So any question that starts with what, where, how, who, um, or uh, yeah, what, where, who, how, instead of a question that starts with why. So asking why am I with this person would give you a million reasons or excuses um, why and it doesn't get you anywhere. But what, how, where, who would quantify or clarify the exact things that would uh, give you the necessary insights? So a simple question like, what, are, what is it that we're trying to achieve with our relationship? And stating at least 10 things from that. Mm. Um, Mm-hmm. Who are we trying to become in this relationship? 
um, in stating 10 things or more than 10 things helps you explore the part of your consciousness that would give you the necessary insights. But a lot of people ask just the why um, before they get married instead of questions that would give you, you know, the quantification of what it is that you want to achieve or who you're trying to transform into um, or when, you know, the questions of when, again, some people get engaged for like two years without setting a date, with, you know, with, without the clarity of when you'd like this to happen. Yeah. It could be uh, something that's totally extended and it, you don't have a commitment date. Mm. You know, and playing around with a lot of dates and um, and also how, the how. How are we going to relate to each other? How, how are we going to have a, a fighting style, for instance? Um, and how... Um, good of communicators are we trying to be? Sure. So sure. It's, it's 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 framing your goals and 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 um, the things that you want to achieve or uh, insp- aspire to within your relationship, so that you also don't get stagnant. You ask these questions on a yearly basis. You're going to become better uh, as a wife, as a husband in your relationship instead of you know. Uh, I, 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 you don't want to get to a point where you can say, "Oh, I fully know this person." You know, you know what you I'm want hearing to from remain you? Remain fascinated and ask questions and learn more about the person that you're with, uh, rather than just being comfortable with, "Oh, we've been together for so many years, so therefore, there's not much effort I need to put in in getting to know this person." You know, Vanessa, what I'm getting from you, which is actually quite, um, you know, powerful, is that. Couples should continually self-diagnose the relationship, should diagnose the relationship and actually assess where are we, how are we doing on communication, how are we doing on trust, how are we doing, you know, on all these different aspects of our relationship. Are we good? Do we talk? When was the last time we had a good heart-to-heart? You know, has our communication become more functional? Uh, Can you bring some bread? Oh, I need this. Can you do that? Because a lot of times couples get into that functional mode, you know, the day-to-day stuff. You know, and before you know it, they haven't had a real heart-to-heart with each other yes. to find out how are you doing. Yes, yes. And what else can we provide for each other mm. in this relationship to mm. transform? Because relationships are about transformation. You don't connect with someone to remain the same person. True. If it has to provide a space for you and a platform for you to become 10 times better than you were yesterday, a year before that, and before you met. It's always about upgrading each other, I suppose, you know, being, yes. you know, making each other, uh, you know, bring out the best in each other yes. all the time. Yes. Thank you so much, Vanessa, for joining us. Enjoy the rest of your trip in London. And we Thank appreciate you, so much, you taking the time to connect with us. It's an absolute pleasure. There it's you go. There you go, Vanessa Mohorosi there. She is a consciousness coach and she's joining us live from London where she currently is at the moment. Stay with us right here on SAFM. This year's ITU Telecom World Conference will be held in Durban from the 10th to the 13th of September at the Nkosi Albert Lutuli International Convention Center. You'll get to hear from some of the world's leading figures in the ICT field. Interact with world-renowned cutting-edge telecoms brands. Network with influential figures from government, regulators and also connect with tech SMMEs.
It's the first of its kind on the African continent and it's taking place at Salafka's playground, Durban. This message is brought to you in partnership with the Salafkan government. Hashtag ITU in SA18. Here, there and everywhere. SAFM. 106.1 FM in Bombela. My Get Up and Go on SAFM. Influential people doing well in their respective fields. 4.30 time for our Get Up and Go. And this morning we've got Zukim Zoyana. She is an edupreneur, business idea jockey, strategy and route to market a consultant. A very good morning to you, Zuki. I'm very good morning indeed. Kanye, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for being with us. I, I, I was, I was, um, taken a little bit back when I read business ideas jokey. I'm like, hmm, I wonder what that <laughs> means. I, I, and, and also, aha moment generator. Did I read yes. that right? Yes, you did indeed. All right. Zuki, let's start by asking you what's your daily get up and go routine that gets you up and going? Sure. I wish I could say it's one consistent thing because if it was, it would be routine and therefore boring. So I I honestly try to apply a bit of creativity, but I always start with a thank you and a gratitude prayer. And then I find a way to jog around the block. Um, but other than that, I look for something to to excite, I guess, every day. Sometimes it might be writing something before I leave. Mm. So, yeah. Now, it's here's something that I'd like us to start with. And mm. um, I like the fact that you don't follow a particular routine because, like you say, it would then become boring. So you really... Having such um, an an organic type of outlook in terms of your own life. I like that you don't um, try to be rigid, but you are fluid in the way that you approach your life. Oh, absolutely. So um, it's just one of those things. I I mean, we come from this era of uh, we we were kind of all bred to be a homogenous type of being. Um, The factory era or pre-fourth industrial revolution era where we all had to come through the same system and look the same way and behave the same way. And I just always battled with that. Um, so routine, uh, being the same as everybody else or fitting into a box, I've always been allergic to uh, that kind of thinking. So I freed myself from it, uh, which took some doing. But um, as a result of that, there's, there's, there's just abundance in my life because not sticking to the same way uh, you kind of discover new and different things, and that's exciting to me. Let's talk about winning a code. Uh, this was quite interesting for me. You're a, a, you are the author of a winning code on success awarded by Oprah at Live Your Best Life Show South Africa in 2006, where you said mm-hmm. success is when a vision comes to life, it grows wings and flies. Yes. Tell us more about that. Imagine Oprah picked my quote. <laughs> so what was but the context? Did did all of you have to like put out like different yes. quotes and send it in? How did this yes. all happen? So in 2006, she was in the country, and this was the time Oprah was still doing her talk show. Um, so she came to do a, uh, a show here in South Africa, 
uh, or a version of her studio show anyway, but it was the theme, Live Your Best Life. And um, so we attended. It was at the Santon Convention Center. There were about uh, 3,000 people that attended. And then um, coming into the door uh, at registration, the first thing you were asked to do is define success in your own words. And then the Oprah magazine uh, published um, the two winning quotes, and, and mine was one of them. Oh, wow. Describe that mm. moment. When they called, the first thing I said was, did Oprah pick it? <laughs> <laughs> so, and they said, well, actually, yeah, the, the two, they had obviously selected a few, the team, um, and Oprah had viewed um, the two that ultimately won because they resonated with her the most. Um, so to it, it, it was such you know, validation that, um, you know, one of my icons, um, we kind of think on the same wavelength. So mm. most exciting. I know, I know, I know recently, um, you know, I saw, I, well, actually, no, I'd never mind. I don't want to get frivolous. You know, yeah. you, you see yourself wearing something that, oh my God, Beyonce also has something like this and I was wearing it. Oh my <laughs> word, me and my icon think the same. Oh, we are BFFs. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm an, Lifelong Oprah fan. <laughs> you know what? I, I, I hear you and I feel you, my sister. Let's talk about the work that you do as an ideas coach. You're a business ideas jockey. You're also heading up the Young Entrepreneurs Foundation where you drive financial literacy and entrepreneurship skills. Let's talk about that. So, um, you know, the ideas jockey thing and the aha moment is that, um, and, and this is when you play to your own strengths, so when people talk about um, strategy and not knowing the direction to, to take, one of my kind of innate gifts is my ability to, to see big pictures with absolute clarity and then distill them, you know, in simple terms so that it generates that aha moment. So uh, I just have the ability to create that eureka um, moment and I've applied that and I've turned it into a skill um, and made it part of the work that I do. But you know, when we talk about the work that, that I do, my my calling in life is to bring people uh, to to them to their passion, right? Your why. And my why um, plays out in developing young minds to to realize you know, I suppose they, their own work. So um, I do that with a business called Young Entrepreneurs, um, but I also have a business called the Innovator Gap Year, and they address the same uh, or similar issues, just at different ages. So Young Entrepreneurs stimulates or, or captures the entrepreneurial mindset from a very young age, which is age 7 to 15. Um, and the Innovator Gap Year allows young adults age 18 to 25 to use who they are, tap into their innate skills and abilities to design a life and a career that suits them instead of just fitting into a predetermined box. So that's, that's the work that I do. And, and what inspires you to do that work, especially to see young entrepreneurs being empowered financially? Um, I, I suppose for me, it's, it's one of those critical it's a critical life skill. Um, 
you I mean you can be good at maths but you have to be you have to be financially literate um to to make it you know to make a success and I think this is the one the one skill that most of us are robbed uh of uh you kind of leave financial stuff to accountants mm-hmm. um and yet it, it's a part of everything that that we do you have to be able to read finances and numbers like a story and that's how you excel in in business in fact not just in business you could be employed or self-employed um you have to manage your own uh your own life and build and build wealth right so um and so no matter what your passion is or no matter what you're pursuing in life it has to be underpinned by an understanding of how the financial systems work Mm. So, 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 yeah. It's just, it's for me. It's one of those critical life skills. And let's talk about you know Zuki being uh, passionate about the use of innovative thinking to drive social change because you're quite uh, passionate about social entrepreneurship as well, profit with purpose, not just profit for the sake of profit. Mm. Yeah, um, like I alluded to um, earlier, we're kind of in a new. Uh, in a new era, um, loosely, let's call it the fourth industrial revolution. I mean, you see it um, all around us. I think just as, as a uh, as, as a humanity, we're a lot more concerned about the the social impact that our actions have generally. Um, so, I mean, uh, for me, you ca- you almost you cannot do something unless it serves people. Um, and to take out, to extract just profit um, is an old business model. And if I can give an example of that, uh, how woke we mm. now are as humanity. Uh, recently, there was a discussion about, I don't know if I can mention um, a certain TV platform where they have monthly subscriptions that are obscenely high. Mm. But now people have choice yeah and then and people have proven that that business model where you're just taking from people without demonstrating value um is a dying is a dying business model so and and so they're starting to lose um you know subscribers for for that reason yes so i think it's very um it's very short-sighted to think that you can you can be in business without adding value and adding value, unfortunately, means that making people feel empowered uh, through your business. And that's just the reality. It's not just a Zuki philosophy. Um, it's not, you know, whether you choose to believe it or not, it is the reality of how we have evolved into the 21st century. It's just an ism for me. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about what leadership means to you. You know, in the work that you do, you work with a lot of people and you lead teams and, you know, you have people that work, you know, I don't want to say under you, but under your leadership. Um, So leadership is a a responsibility, I think, that falls on every single one of us, whether uh, we admit it or not. Um, I always say to people that, there's always somebody watching you um, and trying to, to walk or emulate your best traits. Even when you're feeling like you're not a leader, there's somebody who's worse off than you and looks up at you. 
And because of that, I've always been very conscious of that. Um, so, so if you understand that leadership is something that we all find ourselves doing or we thrust, um, it's thrust upon us, uh, because there's inevitably there's always somebody that's looking up to you. You almost have that responsibility to always put your best foot forward. Right. Um, but, but for me, I mean, my, my whole life has been centered around, um, good leaders. So I've surrounded myself with people that, um, you know, exude those traits of a good and sound value system, integrity, um, uh, commitment to their why in life, their passion. Um, I've surrounded myself with people like that, and um, I have made that my life's work as well, to to kind of stay true um, to the thing that I believe I've been called to do through my right. businesses. So, um, and for that, because I stay authentic, um, it, it kind of gives permission mm-hmm. to others to, to seek to do the same at the very least. Mm-hmm. Very, very powerful there. And what motivates you on a daily basis to do better? Um, honestly, knowing that I chose um, to follow my truth. Uh, despite the difficulties, um, I chose the, the the less beaten track or the the road less traveled, um, and I stick to it because I think it's preordained. Um, it's 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 the part that was intended for me. So I look forward to the blessings and the successes that come with honoring that. Um, and that keeps me that keeps me going. That despite um, any challenges that may come my way, I know I'm on the right path. Mm. And very true. It's it's about trusting the journey that you're on. Yes, yes, spot on. I love what you said earlier on in terms of helping people discover themselves and discover their purpose. And what was your aha moment? As you are now an aha moment generator. <laughs> Um, so the truth for me is that every single one of us, uh, I believe, are born hardwired to know our why, that thing. Um, and I think it was Mark Twain who said it best when he said the two most important days of your life are um, the day you're born and the day you find out why. Um, so, so for me, I, I, looking back now, I've always known, I've always known, but I've never been able to articulate it. Um, I didn't have the language or the confidence to articulate it. And I also didn't believe I had the the skill set or, you know, the set of talents to actually shape it into a career. And so that became my mission to to do exactly that. So when I when I finally admitted that no matter how glorious or non-glorious it is, this is who I am and what I'm designed to do. To do. So my aha moment came when I, when I accepted my journey and my truth. When you accepted your journey and your truth. And how did it change your life? In the most phenomenal way, because suddenly um, 
if things just fall into place and thing makes uh you know things start making sense um i have what i call uh call it god moments you know when you're standing in a situation or in front of a crowd and you have to speak and then you have that moment of clarity and what comes out of your mouth sounds so powerful and um and moving and yet you like I didn't say that, did I? <laughs> um, that's when you know that um, that you are you are on your journey, you are on your path. Yeah. So it's just it, it is the most empowering um, feeling to honor it. That is powerful. And to somebody listening to you right now and is not at the place where they've discovered their journey, where they are still in the process of discovering who they are, that aha moment, and they are feeling rather discouraged because it has not yet come for them. How do you um, inspire them? Um, firstly, I would tell them to... <laughs> To stay away from me because I will make it my daily mission to make them feel uncomfortable until they accept their truth. Um, because, like I said, it's, I think it's it's unlikely that we don't know what it is. Um, what's more likely is we don't know how to pursue it. So, and the more adult we go, uh, and the more responsibilities we we take on, um, we start. You know, we live in fear. And we have this false narrative that says uh, you have to follow, you know, this very conventional path. You can't, you can't take risks, or you can't explore or experiment with your own truth. Um, and I dare to say to those people that um, it's not real. That fear is actually not real. And what lies on the other side of letting that go um, is the discovery of your own power, because it's. You're born with it. And I don't want to sound like a motivational speaker because I'm not, um, but but I, uh, that's what I do. I, 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 I kind of walk people through that path of discovery. Mm. It's just acceptance, really. It's acceptance for who we are and, yeah. and all that we are. Mm, absolutely. Wonderful. And before we let you go, uh, Zuki, is there an inspirational quote or message that you live by that you can share with our listeners? Um, the one that transitioned me uh, to accepting who I am and following through on that journey uh, is a poem that used to haunt me, you know, before my transition um, by Marianne Williamson. Our deepest fear is not that we're inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It's a whole poem, but just those first two lines um, have always been part of my subconscious and conscious mind. Wonderful words there. And finally, how can people get in touch with you? What are some of your social media handles that we can use? Um, so I'm not too big on social media, but I am most active on the gram. So um, I would recommend that people reach me on my Instagram, which is at unscriptedme underscore zm. But I am on Twitter as well at Zuki Mzoz. Zuki Mzoz, that's where people can get in touch with you. Yeah. 
wonderful. Thank you so much uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Mzuki Mzozoyana there. She is an edupreneur. She is also an ideas jockey. She's a strategy route to market a consultant. And I also like the fact that she says she is an aha moment a generator. Wonderful work there that she is doing. It is 10 minutes before 5 o'clock. Here's the sounds of Shanae with Hey Mr. DJ. What we're going to do now is go back.
This new day on SAFM, spiritual upliftment to get your day started. Good morning. Last week, I looked briefly at the good life. Living by my sense of what the good life is shapes my identity. If I look to myself as the source of significance, then I put others who are just like me above everybody else. The result is apartheid or Africanism or Stalinism or elitism or some other ism. The bottom line in each case is that I exclude those who don't meet my criteria. This can be done very quietly, or exclusion can be brutal, and there are enough examples around us. The point is that a definition of the good life that isn't big enough will always exclude some through the construction of a limited identity. A limited identity is the result of a limited, a too small vision of the good life. The larger that vision, the more inclusive it is. A simplistic example will suffice. If I think the good life consists of having $10 million, then only those people who have 10 or more million dollars are included in my vision. That means that about 99.9% of the world's population is excluded. That's a very elite identity. It may well please those in the group, but it won't win them friends outside it. So, a limited identity both excludes and creates someone who is not like me, who is the other. In any group you care to name, fear of the other can start very quickly. It is certainly used by politicians to great effect to consolidate their power over people because the other people are cast in the role of the enemy. They are the ones who are to blame for this or that, and once we get rid of them, the problem will be solved. Racism, xenophobia, tribalism, ethnic genocide are some of the names to describe the results of this limited thinking. Where is the God bit in all of this, you may be asking? Well, Jesus lived his life in the largest vision possible, the God-man for everyone, who included everyone and turned no one away. In his death, all these things we used to set ourselves apart from others were defeated. Their power over us, if we choose Jesus, is broken. Oh, the temptation to give in to them is still there, but they no longer own us as slaves and cannot force us to exclude. With Jesus at the center of my life, I get to choose if I will give in to limited identities or draw closer to the life of Jesus which invites all to come home. Paul reminds new Jesus followers that they should be careful not to look down on others who are not yet followers and not to be too snooty about the moral failings of those people because that's just how they themselves were before encountering Jesus. In Jesus there is no the other person to fear or hate because that's just how I was yesterday without Jesus who alone makes me who I truly am. From me, Alan Williams, it's in Luke's Church in Johannesburg. Goodbye until we meet again this time next Tuesday, and go with God today.
Amen. I love that. Go with God uh, today. It's two and a half minutes before five o'clock. It's almost, almost time for us to go home, but not before we look at what's happening on the timeline. And this morning, we have been chatting about sexism in sports and asking the question, how do we deal with sexism in sports, particularly paying attention to the Serena Williams case. We all saw what happened at the U.S. Open finals. And if you haven't, um, you know, caught up with the story, please do do a simple Google search and um, go to YouTube, watch the videos, read a little bit. You know, she she had an altercation, a verbal one with the Empire Carlos Ramos, and she subsequently lost the match because of a number of points that were taken away from her. And she also has been fined a seventeen thousand dollars, um, number one for slamming her racket on the floor or on the ground at um, the match. And also, uh, she was accused of coaching. She was accused of receiving tips from her coach during the game which is not allowed and thirdly she was also fined for calling the empire a thief for taking those points away from her let's see what's happening on the timeline German is saying if she could have won the game all bad things would not have been heard from her side so now that she's lost we are beginning to hear a lot of things so Serena Williams must accept that she lost and not accuse a people catch up state saying are there no female empires to start with that's quite interesting uh, I don't think I've ever seen one but I'm definitely sure there must be uh, in these particular games in the 